This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Today we're finishing our message series, Coloring Inside the Lines, God's Plan for Sex. Uh, We've done, this is week four. The first week we started in uh, Genesis 2 and 1 Corinthians 7, looking at the beautiful picture, kind of how God designed sex to be experienced and uh, his intention for it. Then the, the second week, we talked about the distorted picture, how when we choose to step outside of God's plan for sex, it corrupts our identity and kind of has these ripple effects through all of our lives and, and out into our world and into our culture as well. And then last week, we talked about how Jesus comes to restore us, whether we have uh, stepped outside those lines, been drug outside those lines, been indifferent to them or trying to live in it. Either way, Jesus comes to give us a, a full experience of life in, in all of life. And today what we're going to talk about is the importance of explaining this picture. So we're going to do that in, in two ways. Most of our time this morning is going to be spent talking about why and how do we talk about sex? As Christians, how do we engage in kind of these cultural conversations and conversations with each other? And then at the very end, uh, just a little encouragement to parents uh, to, to have these conversations with their kids. Um, but do any of you, do you remember the first time you had the talk that somebody gave you the talk? I just, I, I'm, I'm curious, legitimately, how many of you remember, by a show of hands, the first time somebody gave you the talk? Okay, how many of you never got the talk from like an authority person? You just, yeah, okay. Yeah, so uh, in my family, here's how the talk went when I was growing up. They used to have these public service announcements that would come on. Uh, You know, like talk to your kids about drugs before someone else does. Talk to your kids about sex before someone else does. My dad had the same talk for all of those. So we'd be watching a ball game or like Walker, Texas Ranger, you know, something really awesome. And this, this thing would come on, and it made me cringe a little bit every time of just like, uh, talk, to, talk to your kids before someone else does. And in my mind, I'm thinking, no, please don't. Uh, like, don't talk to me, Dad. But he would turn to me every time. So it would say, talk to your kids about sex before someone else does. And he would turn to me, and he'd look me right in the eyes, and he'd say, if you have sex before you get married, I will kill you. <laughs> and that was it. That was his sex talk, that was his drugs talk, that was his alcohol talk, that was his choose good friends talk. It was universal across the board. If you do the wrong thing, I'll kill you. And I I knew he won it, um, but I also knew I would wish I was dead, you know, because of the the consequences that would come with it. And so uh, while it wasn't comprehensive, it was definitely effective. You know, and, and I remember as a, a youth pastor, I would talk with our junior hires and high schoolers, and I would ask them, like, how many of your parents have had this talk with you? And uh, I, it, it would always surprise me at the small number of them who would say, yeah, my parents talked to me about it. Uh, now that I'm kind of in that season, like my oldest is 11, because I used to think, man, these parents, they, do, they just don't care about their kids. But I, I realized something. Almost all of you did have those talks with your kids, but it was so traumatic, your junior higher like completely blocked it out of their mind, right? They, they did not remember that it ever happened at all. And so I've, I've, I've become much more gracious now having to, to sit on the other side of that talk and, and say words that I'd never want to say at all, ever, 
Um, you know, and, and so I so I get it, and I get that this topic is uh, it's uncomfortable. You know, I know there are probably some of us here this morning that would just feel like, man, thank goodness this is finally over, right? Like we've endured four weeks of it. Now let's get back to, uh, you know, something like forgiveness or hope or something like that next week. Something more kind of ethereal, not so uh, awkward and uncomfortable. And, and I, I get that. I mean, I have. I, as much as anyone, I am glad this is week four, right? I have said the word sex, porn, for, I said masturbation in church. Do you know how uncomfortable that, I said it again right there, but do you know how uncomfortable that makes me? Like I'm, my poor grandma would die if she was still alive knowing that I said that this morning in church. There's, just, there's things you're not supposed to say. And, and so for, for four weeks now, we've been saying these things. Oh, I think I've said sex more in four weeks than I've said in my entire life. And so I get it where it's like, my goodness, just stop it and let's move on. But here's the thing. When Christians are silent in this conversation, culture fills in the gaps. And the messages of our culture about sexuality are unending and almost universally wrong, right? Like, I mean, I, I understand the idea of like, we just wanna have the, the one time talk about sex with our kids or, or with other people and then be done with it. But it's just, maybe that was an option 30 or 40, or 50, 60, 100, 200 years ago, maybe that was okay. But with the way our culture is now, this is a constant conversation. There are constant messages being pushed. You cannot watch the news or read a newspaper without seeing something about sexuality every single day. And for the most part, it's a story of our culture's norms being pushed even farther outside of God's plans for sex. You know, as a, as a pastor, I, as much as I want to say, hey, we just said it once and now everybody's going to be fine forever, I understand that's not possible. Like, we deal with the carnage of people stepping outside the lines all the time, right? I, I've heard stories, not just of things people have done or are doing, but of things that were done to them decades ago that are still kind of, kind of bringing in all this shame and all this darkness into their life. You know, as a, as a parent, I see it with my own little kids. I see them uh, asking me things at times of like, Dad, what's that mean? Dad, what's that billboard? Dad, what's this? And it's just like, it just, it doesn't stop. And so while silence might be the preferred method of some of us, and, and I don't know if this is strictly a kind of a generational gap. You know, I don't know if, if, if you're a certain age or maybe it's more with kind of the home you were raised in or if it was more proper than the more uncomfortable you feel with it or you feel like this stuff just doesn't really apply to me at all. Or, you know, I've, you know I had somebody tell me I've aged out of this conversation. Um, and, and that might very well be true personally, but uh, I think we all, as part of a community of faith, we have a, a corporate responsibility to one another to continue to engage in these conversations. We, we really have um, lost the ability to just remain silent. We've lost the ability to just turn away. And so we've got to really start to hone in and start to focus on how do we talk about these in ways that honor God. You know, in, a, in an increasingly crass culture, Christians can't just blush and turn away from the conversation. We've got to, got to continue to present God's plan for sex because it's part of God's plan for the world. 
Throughout the scriptures, they, uh, we see that they repeatedly command us to declare the glory of God to our children, to our culture, to really everyone everywhere. And you see this in all through the Bible. In Deuteronomy, Moses talks about the responsibility of older generations to pass on to those coming behind them the commands of the Lord. Right? In, in the Psalms, David talks about how one generation will commend the, the glory, the power, the strength of God to the next generation. When Jesus comes along, he commands us to go into the whole world and take the whole gospel to all of creation. And then we're going to see this morning how Paul points us in these same directions. And so, again, all through scriptures, there's this recurring theme that Christians have a duty to declare the glory and the goodness of God in every area of life. And so what we've done this month then is just take kind of four weeks to slow down and say, okay, if all of this is true, if this is part of our job, part of our duty, then how does it apply to this very specific area of life? And so we're going to finish up this morning by talking about how uh, God's plan for us to tell the whole world about all of his goodness includes a duty to engage in conversations about sex. And to do that, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I had, uh, I had Angie read through this the other day. I've done it every week this, this month, just saying, hey, here you go. Let me know what I need to take out, what I need to leave in, what I missed. And uh, the thing she told me, she said, you know, I, I memorized this song when I was a little girl in my missionettes class. And there was like a, a song that went along with this scripture so you could remember it. And she said, from that day until now, I have never associated that verse with sex. So thank you for ruining this fond childhood memory that I had. Um, but what I think we'll see here, Paul is writing to the church in, in Philippi, and Philippians, by and large, is his most encouraging letter. He is incredibly friendly, he is incredibly uh, joyful and encouraging to the Philippians, and he's writing basically just to thank them for their support and to encourage them to keep pursuing Jesus. And so this passage right here, verse 8, uh, comes right as he's starting to wrap up his letter before he gets into this list of just kind of personal thank yous. He has this section of just kind of some final exhortations to the Philippian church. And what he tells them in verse 8 is, is anything that's good, that's pure, that's lovely, that's beautiful, these are the things I want you to think about. And that phrase that he gives them, think about such things, it, it carries this idea of whenever you see these things in the world, not just uniquely Christian things that meet these categories, but when you see anything, anywhere that falls into those true, noble, right, pure, lovely, anything, stop and consider them. It's to, it's to sit and meditate. It's to dwell on. It's to fix your mind on these things. And that inevitably is going to lead you to talk about them as well. And so Paul is telling them, look, anytime you see God's beauty on display in the world, stop, consider it, think about it, dwell in it. And when you live in that way, it makes it easier for you to then have conversations and to engage in conversations that point out God's activity in all of creation, not just in the uniquely Christian areas of life. And so for our purposes today, I want us to consider how the way we talk about sex is affected by this command here from the Apostle Paul. So, so Paul starts off and he says, if anything is true, right? And what we've been talking about all month long is that sex is a true part of the human experience because it's part of God's design for us. 
The fact that our culture gets it wrong should not stop us from talking about how God made it right. And the truth of God's, sexual, uh, God's plan for sexuality is worth talking about because he created it for our benefit and he has a very specific plan for it. Right, we looked at Genesis 2 where God's plan for sex is for one man and one woman to come together for two to be made one and sex plays an, a, an integral role in that process where it's a, a unique and exclusive bond between one man and one woman. This is part of God's right plan. Paul says whatever is noble, again, sex fits into this because it's not just kind of a utilitarian gift that God gave us. You know, there are segments of the church that historically have taught God gave us sex merely for reproduction. And anything beyond that, you're, you're getting awful close to temptation. Uh, thank God we've moved away from that, right? Um, but it, it's really kind of this noble thought of, hey, this is, it's not just something to make babies. Like, that's a beautiful part of this gift. But God has a, a noble part of it that's, that even if you are infertile or unable to have children, it, he still has a plan for sex in your life when you're married. So what that means then is that, that part of something being noble is that it's worthy of our respect, that we should revere it, that we should not treat it flippantly or crudely, but with honor, that it's, it's worthy of our careful attention, it's worthy of our thoughtful consideration, it's worthy of our respectful conversation. Paul tells us if, if anything is right, and again, I think this is where we have a duty to talk about sex is part, part of God's right plan for humanity. It's not a dirty mistake. It's not a shameful secret. It's not the result of the fall. This was part of God's plan for us before sin ever entered the picture at all. And so, so what that means for us is that we are continually pushing forward this idea in our conversations and in our own hearts that this is part of God's right plan for the world. And if it's part of God's right plan for the world, then he has a very specific way in which it should operate. And I need to do my best to stay with inside those lines. It reminds us that, that we don't have to hesitate to engage in these conversations because this was God's idea before it was our culture's idea. It means that sex is a good thing. Sex will always be a right thing because it is a God thing. And then Paul tells us, tells us if anything is pure, and again, we hit on this over the last three weeks, that God designed sex to be a shameless experience between a husband and a wife. Right, you go back to Genesis 2, and what's it tell us about Adam and Eve? It says they were naked, and they felt no shame. Right, they, were, they were completely vulnerable. They were completely exposed. And there, in that moment with each other, is a picture of how God intends a husband and a wife to interact, to be free of shame. And so it means there's a purity in this gift that he's given to us. So all of the shame that we feel, all of the, the discomfort when it comes to this area usually is the result of sin, either in our, our lives or in our culture that has somehow corrupted God's right and pure gift. Sex is supposed to be a powerful and a life-giving experience that points our hearts back towards God and the way he, he created us to live. And it tells us sex is lovely as well. You know, Paul says, if anything is lovely, and again, I think you can take this and you can apply it to this conversation. When we color inside the lines of God's plan for sex, it presents a different picture to our culture. When a husband and wife are uniquely and powerfully bound together through sex, it, it brings a fullness of life to their relationship that even if they never tell anyone else, this is why we like each other so much. It shines through, 
right? It, it binds a husband and a wife together in a unique and powerful way, and it pre- presents really this beautiful picture to the world. Finally, Paul tells us if anything is admirable or excellent or praiseworthy, right? When we speak of God's plan for sex, this is what we're speaking of, the good thing that God has done in our world. So we should lead the way in celebrating God's plan for sex. And I know that sounds weird. And uh, it's like, well, how do, you, how do you do that? Like you just, yay, sex. Uh, you know, that's, that's kind of weird. Um, you know, it's one thing to do that to your own spouse in the privacy of your own home or, uh, you know, maybe in front of your teenager just to see if you can actually make them throw up uh, in front of you. But, but for the most part, if, if it's excellent, if it's admirable, if it's praiseworthy, if it's right and pure and lovely and all these things, the question is, okay, well, so this is, this is why we should talk about it because it's a good thing that God has done, but how do we talk about it? How do we talk about it in ways that you don't come off creepy, you know? How do you talk about it in ways that seem natural? Like it's, it's not really natural for you to go to work first thing tomorrow morning. They're like, how was your weekend? God has a good plan for sex. Uh, you know, that it's going to be a little uncomfortable for some people, but if you want to try it, be sure to videotape it so, so the rest of us can enjoy that later as well. But, but you want to know, how, how do you engage in this conversation? How do you engage in it in ways that honor God? If, if our culture is constantly screaming these messages and we firmly believe not only is that wrong, but we know what is right, then how do we present what is right in ways that resonate in our culture? And I think if you just kind of work your way right back through Philippians 4.8, it provides you with a natural outline, a, a way to understand how you should talk about sex as well. Again, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So again, you're thinking, how do I talk about sex? Well, there's a few guidelines that I think Paul gives us here. First of all, when you talk about sex, be truthful, right? Don't be ashamed of God's plan for sex, even when it differs from our culture. Don't be ashamed of God's plan for sex even when it makes you blush because you grew up in a family where we just don't say those things, right? Be truthful about it. We can confidently and lovingly share God's plan for, for sex with our world. And this includes, I think, truthful conversations about, yes, this is a good gift from God, and he made it for a very specific reason. And, and maybe our sin, no, undoubtedly our sin, has messed up that plan, But it means we're speaking truthfully about even though sin has messed it up, God can still redeem it. God can still restore it. God can bring us back into it. And and truthful conversations about sex ultimately should always lead us back to God's whole plan for the world, which leads us back to Jesus. When you talk about sex, you can also be noble. Now, I don't know how that word hits you, but I always have pictures of uh, like kind of knights or Shakespeare or... um, you know, more honestly, Monty Python. But, um, you know, that idea, be noble. Like, you should use some King James kind of speech when you talk about sex and, and things like that. And, but I don't think that's necessarily it. I think it's more just let there be, when you talk about sex, when you engage in these conversations, let there be an element of respect and reverence in your speech. Right? Don't forget that you're talking about one of God's unique gifts to us. Don't be flippant in those discussions for two reasons. First of all, we don't want to treat this lightly because it's one of the most significant gifts God has given to us with tremendous power for good and tremendous power for evil. 
The second reason that we want to be noble in our speech when we talk about sex is we never know the full history of anyone that we're talking to, right? And, and we talked about two weeks ago how sexual sin has a unique ability to come and corrupt our identity. And we see this in our culture where our, our sexuality in many ways becomes our identity. We say, I, this is, before I'm anything else, this is who I am. And so as Christians, when we're engaging in conversations in a world that increasingly looks different from what we think God's plan for sex should look like, we need to make sure that we are being noble in our speech. We're we're still being truthful, but we're also being aware that sexual sin has a unique ability to corrupt a person's soul to the point that they find their identity completely in that thing that you think is so wrong. And so we want to speak respectfully, We want to speak with reverence even as we're speaking truthfully. You know, it's the same idea the scriptures tell us of speak the truth in love, right? Don't just be flippant. Don't just dismiss. Don't just, oh, that's disgusting. Get out of here. Don't talk to me. Why would you? You're so, don't go down those roads, but instead be truthful, but be noble in your speech. Show respect, show reverence uh, for God's plan and also for sin's unique ability to corrupt our identity completely. I think it also reminds us that when we talk about sex, we should be pure. Don't be crass. Don't be crude in your conversations. Now, even, even that is different from person to person, right? Like my, my mother's definition of crass and my definition are worlds apart. Um, my, I'm sure that someday my children will uh, maybe identify more with my mom than they do with me, hopefully, if of, you know, dad's a little crass, but whatever. Uh, you know, but, but here's the thing, like, don't be crass, don't be crude, be pure. It's not this puritanical approach to sexuality where we just don't talk about it, but it's understanding that, like, you can, you can be lighthearted without being crass. You can engage in just some, some little banter without being crude, but understanding that, that purity comes from your heart. And it comes from your motivations for engaging in these conversations. And so there might be one way that you talk to your friends about sex. There might be one way that you talk to your spouse about sex. There might be a different way that you talk to uh, a mixed group, like in your home group, about sex. Or to your teenagers or to your small children. All of these, you know, there's nuances depending on where you are. And and what is is crass and vulgar in one setting is just kind of like, oh, laugh it off and move on in another setting. But here's the thing, that the purity is not necessarily gauged by uh, the words that come out as much as by the motivation of your heart and the setting in which they're spoken. So when Paul calls us to be pure, it's a reminder to us that in all of life, we're to embrace purity wherever we see it. And God has a pure plan for sex. And when we engage in conversations about sex, we want to make sure that our speech does not detract from the purity of his gift. And so it means we're evaluating our own heart of why am I entering into this conversation? Why should I, you know, and and it'll help you decide because there are definitely times that you just have to turn and walk away, right? There are moments where the conversation is going down such a dark path. It's just like, I can't even engage in that. I can't. And so you, you turn away from it. On the other side of that, you also have to be careful that you're not the one initiating those conversations because you're some kind of like, conversational peeping Tom that just wants to, you just constantly talking to your friends, constantly talking to other people because somehow uh, this topic, hearing it from others, uh, just gives you a little extra excitement. Like all of those are, are signs to you that this is not pure. This is not a conversation that I should be engaged in. 
But that doesn't mean we withdraw from it entirely. As Christians, we can engage in conversations about sex, and we can do it with pure hearts and pure speech. And when we do it in that way, it will point people back to God's plan for sex. I would uh, caution married couples especially when it comes to this idea of be pure in your speech. Now, uh, Angie and I do a lot of like pre-marriage counseling with couples who are getting ready to, to be married. And so when it comes to um, time to talk with them about sex and all of those things, we always tell, tell every one of them, before you ever talk about sex with anyone else, you need to talk to your spouse first. And you as a couple need to make a mutual decision of how much and how often you will share these things. Because again, sex is, is intended to be a personal and private thing between a husband and wife that binds you together in a unique and powerful way. Yet at the same time, it can be helpful to have open and honest conversations with other people to know, is this a normal experience or is this something occurring in my life that is outside of God's plans for sex? Is this just kind of a, a stage of life, a season of life, or is this a cause for concern that we are starting to drift apart in our marriage? But you have to, even in those conversations, you want to be pure because you want to make sure you're always speaking in ways that honor your spouse and honor the Lord. And so again, you know, the, the, the kind of classic puritanical Christian response to this is, well, then just don't talk about it. It's just not safe to talk about. You just don't know when you're going to go too far down that road. But I would encourage you instead, talk with your spouse about it. Identify if you're comfortable having those conversations. And then if you engage in them with a close friend, with a family member, with something else, do it in ways that, are, that come from a pure heart, pure motivation, and occur with pure speech. Honor the Lord in that conversation. Our purity of thought and heart and mind when we talk about sex should be a reflection of God's purity of that gift to us. And Paul tells us whatever is lovely or admirable or excellent or praiseworthy, which I think just reminds us when we talk about sex, be positive. You know, there's kind of this stereotype in our culture of the way Christians view sex, and unfortunately it, it, it finds its roots in our behavior. And the stereotypical view of how Christians view sex is that it's, it's a negative, right? And so all our culture typically hears from Christians is about how they're getting it wrong. And then the other time they hear about sex and Christians is when the next Christian leader blows it in this area, right? So they hear us beating the drum of you're vile, you're disgusting, we can't believe you're doing these things. And then they hear the next news story of and another Christian pastor had an affair. And another Christian leader went down this road. And so it, it kind of causes us to lose our credibility because we're constantly only presenting a negative picture of sex to the world and presenting a negative picture of how you live as a person in your sexuality. Because we're just saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Oh, look, that other Christian leader did that again. And so I think it's important for us to identify what Paul is telling us here and in our conversations to be positive. May we never be the people who just scream at others about how they're getting it wrong. But instead, may we be those who lift up the beauty and the value of God's plan and point them to the benefit of doing the right thing the right way. Let's be positive in our speech. And, and that includes even, parents, from your earliest conversations with your kids. Like, don't lead, please don't lead with the, the STD talk for your 11-year-old, right? 
Like that's not, that's, I, I mean, maybe you did that and you can repent later, but that's not the way to start. Like don't start with, whenever you're talking, I mean, this, this goes beyond sex, but whenever we're talking about God's good and perfect plan for the world, don't start with fear. Don't start with you better or else. But start with, this is why God gave this to us. This is the beauty of it. This is the power of it. When you walk in it, these are the good things that happen to you, right? And, and, and it's so much more effective and I think really can gain us a hearing in our culture when we are able to articulate the positive view of sex that God has, the positive reason for it, and the, the whole life transformation that is possible when you surrender to Jesus, Parents, I think you can also use Philippians 4a as a, a guideline for conversations with your kids about sex. And, and just two quick things here for you. First of all, uh, I tell you, if you are entering into this season of life, kind of young kids, and, and here's the thing, uh, you're always entering into this season before you actually know you're in the season, right? Like if you've got a six, seven, eight-year-old in our culture right now, you, you should be thinking about these things seriously, if you think I'll wait till they're 17, you're like an ostrich with its head in the sand thinking that no one can see you, right? It's, it sucks. It's terrible, right? We want to wait until they're older, but the pervasiveness of our culture requires that parents start to engage their children in these conversations at an earlier point. And we're engaging them with it from the perspective, not of, oh my goodness, I have to help them before the world rips them apart and tears them up, chews them up, spits them out. But we're engaging them from the perspective of, I want my children to know from the earliest age, God has a beautiful plan for their life and he's gonna enable them to walk in it. And so parents, when you're having these conversations with your kids, just two encouragements to you. First of all, um, it is important to have the talk, right? And, and to use the right words and all of those types of things and all the words that make you blush and make you uncomfortable. At some point, you have to do that. But when you have the talk, that's not like a, okay, check that box. We're done forever. I'll make sure they remember the night before they get married, right? But really what you're doing is, is you're having a talk and you're opening the door to an ongoing conversation with your children. This is going to come up again and again and again. And, and some kids and some parents are different. Some kids are completely comfortable talking to their parents about this. Some kids don't want anything to do with it. Some parents are comfortable talking to their kids. Other parents are, are just shrivel up and die on the inside at the thought of it. I get all of that. But parents, here's the thing. If you don't talk to your kids about sex, someone's going to. It's going to be the friends at school. It's going to be other neighbors. It's going to be TV. It's going to be internet. It's going to be porn. Somebody's going to teach them lessons about sex. And the, the tragic truth of our culture right now is that even when we are diligent to present God's plan for sex to them, they're still going to be bombarded by all of these other messages. And so Christian parents have to make a decision that we will not falter or waver in this area. You know, I, I know as a father of three that I have a duty here. I also know that I can fulfill it perfectly and my children still have free will. And so, so our job as parents then is to make it as clear as we can to our children. Our job as parents is to engage them in ongoing conversations and then to pray our guts out for the Holy Spirit to take these truths and plant them deep inside their heart. 
Our job as parents is not just to talk about them one-on-one, mom to daughter, dad to son, but to engage our children in a community where other voices are surrounding them and giving them the same messages. Telling them God has a plan. Persevere. Stay the course. You will live in the fullness of life he's called you to. Right? Talk now and talk later. Never stop in that conversation. And then the, you know, I, again, I, I get it. Like I, my oldest son is 11 years old, and, and we went through the whole deal over the last year and a half, and I hated every second of it. Um, but, but God gave me a very smart wife, and, and she found this program called Passport to Purity. And it was basically like eight hours of CDs where somebody else said all the words for you. And your kid gets a little journal, and they work through it. And uh, so she was like, okay, here, you, you know, her and I decided, okay, we're going to do this with our kids. Uh, she's getting off a little easy because we have two boys and one girl. But, uh, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll take the boys, you get the girl. Uh, but I told her, uh, you know, we're, we'll do it when they hit fifth grade. And uh, I need a reward at the end for enduring the conversation. So she found this, this cheap little ski resort in New Mexico. So Connor and I, uh, we jumped in the car one Sunday after church. We drove for nine hours out to New Mexico, and we listened to those things the whole way, and we both turned red, and we both were cringing, and we both were, uh, you know, and he's turning to me saying, Dad, why do they keep saying that word? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I hate it too. Um, but it opens the door. And part of the reason that Angie and I wanted to make it such a big deal. Now, again, it's easy for me. He's still 11. So right now we are killing it in this area. In eight years, we'll know how we really did. But, but right now plans work into perfection. So don't come tell me how we did it wrong afterwards. Cause we're still living in that area. But, uh, one of the reasons we wanted to make that conversation kind of a big deal is because I wanted him to be able to say, you know, when Cameron is leading a, a D group or something in, in the next four or five years, and he's saying, how many of your parents had this talk with you? We wanted it to be kind of a big event in our kids' lives where they could point back and say, even though we don't remember the thing, we remember the ski trip, right? And so that, that, that also kind of opened the door for ongoing conversations where we can constantly, you know, before he's going over to sleep over, say, hey, Remember what we talked about when we were skiing about how sometimes boys will look at stuff on their phones or their computers, and if that happens, what are you going to do, and how are you going to get in touch with us? And, you know, and, and it kind of opens the door for this ongoing conversation. But parents, in those talks, we have to find a way to be comfortable in it. Right? I have a friend who is a, a therapist and a, a professor who teaches others as well in Kansas, and he tells all of his students, he says, look, in a therapy session, your patient will rise or fall to your comfort level. And so if you are comfortable, they're going to be comfortable and it's going to be a productive session. And if you're uncomfortable, they'll sense that and nothing will be accomplished. And parents, I think the same principle applies to us when we're talking to our kids about sex is our kids will rise or fall to our comfort level. And so we have to ask the Holy Spirit to come. And for some of us, this is a supernatural work of the Spirit in our life to enable us to say these words without turning red and without just saying, you don't need to know that yet. So talk now, talk later, be comfortable with it. And and not just for parents and kids, but for all of us as a whole, when we are willing to engage our culture in conversations about sex, when we're willing to engage our children, our friends, our family members, the, the ultimate goal of that is not that people will just have sexually fulfilling lives. The ultimate goal is to point our hearts back to the whole life transformation that Jesus makes possible for us. 
His grace means that it touches every corner of human existence, every corner of our human experience. There is nothing that he cannot come and change. And so my hope for us as a, as a church, kind of the end of these four weeks, is that we come to a place where we understand the grandness of Christ's work on our behalf, where we understand he died to do this for me. He died to make a full life, an abundant life possible. And so that means that, that then we're willing to engage in conversations with each other about the far-reaching nature of the gospel, how the redemption of Christ comes, and it doesn't just forgive us of our sins in a generic sense, but in a very specific sense. How he comes and he forgives us of the ways we've stepped outside of the lines of God's plan for sex. That we're willing to, to comfortably go back to the prayer room on a Sunday morning and ask someone, I need you to pray with me and, and not kind of make it, make it sound better, but just very honest, I need you to pray for me about these specific struggles, about these specific issues that I'm having. My prayer is that for us as a church in our home groups, we would be comfortable talking about God's plan for sex. And we would do that in ways that honor the Lord and that honor each other and that help us understand how we can be part of spreading God's message of whole life transformation in our culture. So if you'll stand with me this morning, I want to pray with you. See, when Christians are comfortable talking about God's plan for life, when we're comfortable talking about God's plan for sex, it leads to healthier marriages, to healthier single adults, to healthier children and teenagers, and ultimately to a healthier culture. When God's plan is lifted up, it stands in contrast to the havoc that sin wreaks in our world. So may we be people who believe what he says and walk forward in it. We pray with me. Lord, we come to you this morning and with all kinds of different issues in our hearts from all different backgrounds about this topic and these conversations. And Lord, I pray for each person that is here this morning that your spirit would come and speak to them about your plans for their life in this moment and help them to respond to you. I pray for those who are struggling today they would see you as their source of relief. Pray for those who are just bound by so many behaviors and addictions. And I ask that this morning they would find freedom in you. Lord, I pray for those parents who just cringe at the thought of having these conversations with their children. And I ask that your grace would come and be sufficient for them in this season. pray for each one of us that we would surrender to the whole life transformation that Jesus died to offer us. Help us, Lord, to let your grace come and cover over every sin and reach into the darkest corners of our heart. Shine your light and fill us with your love. Pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you'd like someone to pray with you about the things we've talked about today or really about any need at all that you have in your life, I want to encourage you to head out the back doors and to your left. A team of volunteers will be waiting to pray with you. The rest of us are going to sing this song as a statement of our need for God to come and give us faith to live in his plan.
Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.